0: Welcome back to the Locker Room Podcast, podcast number 67. Today, I've got Ross Bennett with me, and Ross is going to give us an insight into some of the advanced coaching techniques, Ross. Um, on, the re- on the back of those recent podcasts that you and Kieran uh, put out about designing the microcycle and player individual action plans, which we'll probably touch upon a little bit too. So just give us a you know, brief overview of what we'll be looking at today.
1: Yeah, exactly that, Joe. It's good to see we finally got Kieran off the podcast. So it's nice to be on with you, eventually. Um, yeah, I guess it came off the back of the individual, like, programs and individual learning plans and the blogs that I've put out in recent weeks for members and, and stuff like that. And just wanted to give an overview of different, different like, coaching techniques that, that coaches can apply um, to enhance their coaching, I guess, to improve the players but um, all sorts of levels, uh, academy, senior, Um, elite non-elite stuff like that so it'd be good just to have a chat and get your take on, on a few things as well okay and
0: just before we get into it ross how important is it for coaches to get the basics right before they move on to these advanced coaching techniques
1: yeah, well, I think a lot of the it'd be interesting. A lot of these advanced coaching techniques are actually the basics, and it's like if you get your structure and your organisation right within your coaching session, then every player is going to get a benefit out of sessions. But of course, like number one, like organisation, safety uh, for the players, you know, but making sure that each player gets an outcome within it is is important.
0: Okay, uh, let's get cracking. Well, there's a, a couple of things we're going to go through. I'll just read them off because some of them is sort of technical jargon that we have here. Uh, Ross, so hopefully our coaches will learn something uh, from this because some of it is new to me as well. So we have zone of proximal development. So could you tell us uh, what is it, what is it about, and what are the benefits of it?
1: Yeah, of course. So this came from from research in psychology actually, like years ago, Versko Ver- Ver- Shanksky, um, many many years ago, and it's basically around deepening into the like individual learning plans and individual programs. We spoke about the job roles and job essentials that I think we'll come on to again today. But it's 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 really making sure that every player has their own zone of optimal learning. So if somebody um, is a kid and they're just working on their kicking technique, like it's probably not appropriate to introduce them into like a high chaos game where the technique is going to break down. So it's important to make sure, okay, where is their zone where they can be stretched and learn to develop, but also not have such a high rate of failure? Um, Alternatively, if someone's quite good in the same team, in the same class at, at their kicking technique, but they're very, very competent in a close skill manner then you then need to interfere or put some interference in and put them into a game scenario where you can challenge that further. So it's really looking into the individual programs and saying, okay, well, we've got these set templates that we want to learn. And Joe, you'll know from from the learning environment and school environment as well, that you have your curriculum that you want each pupil to to be able to achieve by the end of the year. But actually, they're on different journeys of that. So some need regression, some need progressing. And it's just about tweaking what you do in, in, in the session to make sure each player can get the appropriate outcome that's not easy of course when you're trying to do a session for 22 players and you put on a practice where some are going to find it tough some are going to flourish but then you've got to strip it back and go okay well how can we manipulate the practice to make sure that player gets their outcome and that player gets their outcome
0: so so it's not about uh, doing 10 different activities at the same time for at a training session to help players at different levels you can't do that that's impossible isn't it
1: well, I think we spoke about that on the individual programmes. Like, if you if you're lucky enough to work at like inter-county level and senior level, where you've got four or five selectors and coaches, and you're able to really go into unit work and maybe group by ability as well as units then brilliant, you can then really make the, the, the practice specific. If you've got one coach, which most, club, which most club teams have got for 25 players, in my head, I'm thinking about if someone, even at senior level, someone needs to work on the, we call it the wooden side, like kick pass in their and, and another player is very competent of both sides, you might have them for part of the session on the outside of the session as a bounce man. So when the ball comes to them, they can play a little bit more unopposed and really work on that technique. They're just little things that you can manipulate in the session to to, to improve that.
0: So there's a lot of planning involved in this for us. Um, I suppose there's a psychological element that comes into it as well. If you make something too hard for a player, they could become deflated, they could give up. The other side of the coin is if you make it too easy, yeah. they, they get boring, it becomes monotonous, you're not challenging them. So th- those are the challenges for us as coaches, aren't
1: they? 100%, and that feeds straight into the zone of proximal development because you want to have, like, approximately 70% success, but you still need 30% failure to make sure you're stretching the players so they develop. Now, sometimes you might lean towards more success, maybe the player's low on confidence on, on shooting, for example, maybe their their um, their point scoring hasn't been so high. So you want to get high success in training to try to build confidence, but ultimately you still want them to fail and to be stretched a little bit under pressure so that when they're in that situation, they're used to it. So I think that balance is really key, Joe. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, brilliant. Uh, we'll move on to the next one that we have here, Ross. It's position essentials. And I think yourself and Kieran touched on it in previous podcasts. Uh, could you describe what is meant by position essentials? Because when I was at London, we, we carried out position essentials. And I thought the benefits of them were huge uh, to, to the squad and to our outcomes. But could you tell us, uh, in your view, what they are?
1: Yeah, of course. Cool. So like we spoke about this within the individual programs. Like I think the starting point for any individual program has to be your positional essential, um, especially at senior level. So essentially, you're having like a, a, a job description, a job spec for every position to make sure we're being a little bit more objective in how we how we assess players and how we ensure that players are ready to play in that position and, and be successful. So a defender. If a defender can score goals, brilliant, but that's not going to be their job essential. So you need to make sure, number one, they can stop the turn. Number two, their foot patterns are good to be able to defend 1v1. Can they nick the ball? Can they poke the ball? Can they play basic um, hand-passing, kick-passes to to serve into midfield? And them sort of things. And you can create your own. It it doesn't mean that... It depends on your style as well. Like, if you're a team that goes long into the front line early, then your back line needs to be able to play longer. Um, if, If you play through the midfield and play a little bit more um attractive type football if you say then then maybe they don't need to be able to kick long as well but they're still going to need it in their armory but it's just making sure that you've got like eight to ten key things that the coaches make sure you work on those with each position um to ensure you're you're getting them ready to do their job really um, and there's a bit more focus to that side of it um, that then leads into what we'll come on to with the individual programs because i think that that basis then gives you an idea around what each player needs. So if a player's really good at something, brilliant, that can be their strength. But if there's something they're really struggling on within that essential criteria, then they're gonna they're gonna find it hard in the game. So that's gonna be their limitation. So it's really important then that you work on that as part of their individual program. And then I guess the zone approximal development feeds into that. Like, okay, they need to work on their kick passing over 20 yards, especially on their wooden side if they're getting, if they're getting pressured, um, what's their level that they're like unopposed, how good are they with with interference, which we'll come on to. Um and that's where you figure out that individual player's kind of profile. Now I know all this seems crazy and like loads of planning within a session and, and it And probably to somebody who just goes on and puts on a normal session they probably think it is but like if you get the planning right and it's not going to be perfect but if you just make the player aware of what they need to work on number one and give them opportunity to work on it in training that alone with just you and the team will will get some benefits
0: yeah i think at london we had eight different position essentials, if you can remember. I think we had the goalkeepers, the cornerbacks, sorry, the man markers, which were the cornerbacks and maybe the fullback. We had the wingbacks, we had the halfbacks, we had the midfielders, we had the wing forwards, half forwards, and we had the finishers or the scorers um, up top. We also had the playmakers as well. But What I was going to ask you is there's a lot of, with those position essentials, um, there's a lot of overlap. So a halfback might be a half forward, Um, that player might actually be a half forward as well. They might play in the half forward (laughs) position quite a lot. So do you pigeonhole players into those positions? What do you do with a transition player who, who usually is yeah. a halfback or?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, Joe. And like in London, we went into really good detail and had loads of different like programs. And as you said, within those job spec, there's going to be some like massive similarities running throughout. And that's that's why when you brought up the basics, it's important that a player can receive a ball. Important that a player can carry. It's important that a player can pass. Important a player that can go past someone out of possession. It's important that the player can get to the ball quickly. Can dispossess someone. Can fill space and cover his mate. So there's going to be a lot of similarities across across the positions. But I guess it's it's making that player aware that if they're like what we call a hybrid player could play in multiple positions, that they might have like aspects of each program as part of their individual programs. I see. Yes. And it's all it's all about clarity. It's all about like we used to do, we used to sit down with the player, here's your individual programs, and and actually the player helped come up with their program, So they got more buy in and they was invested in it. And you agreed on their individual program and what you all thought they needed with all of those things in it. So the, the job spec, the individual program, the zone of proximal development, and then you held the player accountable then well, are you are you practicing what you say you need? And then on the flip side, the player said, well, are you putting on sessions for me <laughs> to, to allow me to practice it? So it's accountability for the coach as well as it, it's the player.
0: And you mentioned they're sitting down with the players and having these one-to-one meetings uh, regarding their individual action plans or learning plans. Um, you What's... have to agree the targets. So you're getting the player to buy in. But what I was going to ask you, is there a challenge with experienced players that might think that they know it all and there's no more development left is that the challenge with this
1: yeah i, I think it's all about mindset like it's, like i think of some characters at london actually and probably come to your mind as well like maybe who didn't want to buy in initially but there's the reason they're playing for london joe you know what i mean it's the reason why they're not in division two and division one playing for a well, tiger of-
0: tiger, Wood ne- tiger woods needs a coach oh,
1: the oh, best players
0: in the world need coaches
1: of course, of course. And and you look at how like players go up and down and then it might be with those top, top players and me and you probably haven't been blessed enough to work with like the, the top elite, um, although we've worked with some good players like you got to think there's psychological aspects to it as well. So the reason why maybe Tiger Woods like didn't do so well, only personal stuff going on, but also psychological things. So what's that profile like? Like how in depth do you want to go down there? What, what's, what's he like under huge pressure when things aren't going so well? So I think there's so many things that you can, you can really work on a player. Um, And and that 1% at the top, the reason why they're so good is because they value all the basics and the little things and making sure the detail of their program is, is correct. So, It's it's quite often the ones below that that actually might have a little bit of an issue with this. Um, But I I think it's important that you explain this for them, like it's all for them. It's all to get them to the next level. There, There has to be agreed motivation. So, for example, where I am now, the players' motivation is to get to the Premier League. So for you to get, there's a reason why you're not in the Premier League at the minute, individually and as a team. Now, for us to get there as a vehicle or for you to get there individually You need to do something to get that move. Let's find out what it is. So there's your common ground already. So that's how you kind of get the buy-in.
0: Okay, so it's important to have these conversations with players. (laughs) Moving on, Ross, to the next thing we have on our list. It's attacking and defending checklist. Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, this this was kind of uh, a checklist. Now, a lot of this work obviously comes from where, where I was at QPR. We adapted it and moved it into London. So Chris Ramsey and obviously the, the manager now, Michael Bill, uh, are probably the two, I have to mention the two influences on my, my coaching style. So I'm not, this isn't stuff I've just made up purely, Joe. Um, the in-possession checklist, there's four things for both. And I think it's just a really quick thing to be able to coach in the session, if you remember it and the players remember it, for just some basic principles. Number one on the in-possession checklist is, can you score? So if you've got the ball at any given time, we want our players to play forward, we want our players to play attacking football, can you score? Now, this will only be for probably certain positions and certain areas on the pitch, so the player has to recognise that. Or can they get themselves in a position to score? So can they carry the ball, advance the ball forward um, to get themselves into that position? If they can't do that, you're looking, can you assist? So can you set someone up to be in a position to carry and score or put someone through on goal, number two? If you can't do that, then you're looking to maintain possession. So purposeful possession, can we play forward if possible? If that's not an option, then can we maintain the ball and make sure we don't turn it over? And then number four, if you can't do that, can you win something? Can you win a foul? Can you win a set piece? So these are just things that players can go through their mind so that quickly, and you need quick, like, thinking players, good decision makers to be able to go through this really quickly. There was four things that we just felt was quite a nice um, nice thing for them to remember in possession. Score, can't score, can I assist? No, can I maintain possession? No, can I win a set, set piece? And if players have that, like, mindset, then A, you're going to be able to play forward more, and B, you're going to be able to retain the ball, which is important. Then you've got the out possession one. So number one, main thing, can you win the ball? That's the first thing. Can you win the ball? Um, if you can't win the ball and, and it's some bit of attack in play, then can you make play predictable? So can you put them into area pitch where your other teammates can recognise where they're going to go to try and dispossess them? If you can't win the ball or make play predictable, you're probably then not the first defender. So number three then is can you then provide cover? Can you support your mate? As a second defender, and this was a big one that we took into the Gaelic Joe because um, a lot of people just went man for man all over the park. And once your once your player got beat, that was it. Like you weren't you weren't accountable as a second defender. But of course, you're going to lose like duels at times in games. So as a second defender, it's really important that you provide cover and balance so that you can stop the person if your mate gets beat. Also, you can get to your man if the ball gets there as well. So that's more tactical, more about positioning. And then number four is get yourself in an effective team shape. If you're not the first or second defender, can you get yourself in a team shape that allows your team to be well set up defensively? Obviously, for them not to be able to go through and penetrate or to go over or go around. So and and all these things are going to be linked to your specific game plan, of course. But we just thought those four in possession, out of possession was just nice, nice, nice. Easy checklist to remember for players when they got the ball, they haven't got the ball.
0: And do you have, I think we did have graphics of these all around the changing rooms, didn't we? Yeah. And we, we, we revisited them at every single training session. I think it wasn't just a one thing. And then you forget about it. It was always recall and retrieving that information so that players would always come back to it. And then after a while, it just, it was automatic
1: exactly that and and you know from the learning like it's all about repetition the only reason I know it so well is because when I coach I use that as my foundation to go and coach um, as well as like the, the the different individual plans but I think it's important that whatever you go with as a coach you have these set things that you really believe in so then revisit it every session talk about your out of possession checklist when you're doing a transfer drill could you have got pressure on the ball there no could you make play predictable okay you're not first offender you've got support your mate um, or get yourself in the shape so they can't play over you because they want to try and play over in a transfer game. Oh, These little things are important that as a coach, you bring it to every session so that the players learn quickly. And we used to put it on the WhatsApp group. And as you said, it was there was reminders in there. But players, some players, they're you know they not invested or they're not 100 invested in all the resources you give them. So you've got to make sure they are um, by, by doing it all the time.
0: Absolutely. And we, and Kieran was very good at questioning players and asking players at the beginning of sessions, you know, um, you know, could you tell me what's the first thing you have to think about when you're in possession of the ball? What's the third thing you have to think about? You know, so players were always on, not on edge, but on their toes because they knew questioning was coming their way. And that helps quite a lot, doesn't it?
1: Of course. And, and and that is what's going to ensure that your players are, are good decision makers on the pitch. And it's, it's, it's not so much like I remember it as one, two, three, four, but it's not so much as the player having to remember like the, the, number, yeah. the numerical order. It's just about mm-hmm. the principle. If I get a ball in a certain area and I'm centre forward and I've got space to carry the ball, I want to go and score. I want to go and run at the centre back and, and bear man markers to try and draw someone out. But if somebody comes towards me and they defend me quite well, I need to know that the right decision is to slip my mate in so that he's for on goal or she's for on goal. So it's just about having these principles to, to add to their games.
0: OK, Ross, I think that brings us nicely to I think principles of player you were referring to to session sequencing. Um, is that within a lesson? Is that within a session or is that throughout the whole year?
1: Yeah, so it's more just about, so we spoke about like these general programs and obviously the individual and then these sort of principles in and out of possession. But I think it's really important that we get the coaching session structure right. And and we make sure that every part of the session has like a link and a theme to it. So like, for example, we spoke about this on the recent podcast at QPR. We don't really have like themes where we work on like we're playing out from the back or we're going to press high or we're working on finishing. There'll be these themes that run throughout different stock practices, we call them. But obviously each practice will focus on slightly different things. But for example, if you want to work on playing out from the back, then you need to create those pictures like early on playing out from the back. So like in my head, you put things on a micro pitch. You have your, your um, try and, I'll try and talk your daily terms here now. So you'll have your back, your cornerbacks, your midfielders in an appropriate position, your centre-back in an appropriate position to start to give them some pictures, how to play out from the back. And you might do some unopposed passing and you might work on each player's like what we call seven passes or four passes, depending on the position. So they know what options they're going to face in in, in the game and make it really linked to the game as well. But then you might go on to, to a phase. So you might say, okay, so now we're going to play out from the back with some with some opposition. Um, and that's where you get like not only interference distraction, but full on opposition. Um, and then you're going to take that into a game where you might always start with the goalkeeper so that you're continuously getting playing out from the back. You're not starting from, from from. I know you're doing Gaelic anyway, but in, in football, obviously, you, you start from a, a kickoff. So we might manipulate the game then to always start from the goalie to make sure we're playing out from the back all the time. Um, so it's them little things that you're just making sure that the sequencing goes from like some sort of unopposed practice so that they can create pitches some sort of interference and distractions you might have two teams playing through passing through at the same time so there's not direct opposition but there's some sort of distraction and then you go into like opposed games and you manipulate the game to make sure you get your outcomes so I think it's just important that coaches think about what they want to work on the most and and there might be two or three different themes but within that so you might have the the defensive team playing out from the back and the attacking team looking at a high press because it's going to give the defensive team like more pressure to play against high high press, but you also be able to work on how you manipulate the ball out of possession and how can we get it into a certain area. So it's just about coaches having that, that thought process um, and planning appropriately, I think.
0: And Ross, I'm just looking at the session plans from our time at London. Um, basically at the beginning, we had the arrival activities and that was tailored towards the individual and it linked in with the individual uh, learning plan. Yeah. Um, should that also link to what's ahead in the training sessions?
1: I think, Joe, that those arrival activities are going to be based off what you've agreed in your, in your individual plan. So, like, yeah. we know that you can't affect everybody's individual program in every session. So you might not have loads of catching high ball, for example, as a midfielder in a session, because you're working on playing out for the back, but you're working on something else. So for them to be able to work on that in isolation, they can go off in a midfield clinic and work on um, catching high ball or breaking ball, you know, uh, second, second contact, whatever it is. So I think it's important that you still have that element of their own time to work on those things because at the end at the end of the block when you sit down and say yeah I think you're progressing on this or no I don't think you are where well, you've had 15 minutes before every session irrespective of our sessions to work on that have you worked on it um are you late all the time which often was the case for some some players trying to get across London um and then it's about okay well how do we fit that else in the program so I think it's important that that, that doesn't have to be linked that could be their program that you work on
0: yeah, and at the end of the day, Ross, the individual learning plans are linked to the totality of the team and the team outcomes. Mm-hmm. So that's why the individual learning programs are done in the first place for the, for the team, fundamentally.
1: Yeah. Exactly that, Joe. Exactly that.
0: Um, Ross, you mentioned a few terms there. Now, I know you mentioned stock practices and you explained it. Uh, the other one was distractions and interference. Could you explain yes. that?
1: yeah this this comes from more about the skill development so if you're looking like we said there but i think every session should probably follow like some like unopposed practice like i am a believer that you need to practice something unopposed to to make it better in a pressurized situation i know there's a lot of game-based approach um activists or or um you know real purist game-based approach um coaches that really think everything should be related to the game and opposed and pressure but i think it's naive to think that if you if you don't if you use a, uh, unopposed practice, it's not going to have any transfer. I think that's, that's quite naive. So I think every practice should have some, some um, element of unopposed in it. But then of course, you want to increase the complexity of that practice and skill development from a from neurological and cognitive perspective. So adding in some interference and distraction where it's not necessarily opposed, it's more just creating some chaos for the brain to be able to still execute and, and start to have some sort of decision-making in there. So if you're doing an unopposed pra- passing practice, put two unopposed passing practices where they're going to link in between each other. So there has to be some decision-making and supporting angles around the player without them necessarily being, being closed down. But then obviously then you link that into the game, into being opposed. So you go through, it's, it's a real nice continuum. Um, and depending on how like how good your team are and how good your players are you might only need to spend like two minutes on an unopposed practice or two minutes on with distraction because you can get straight into the game if there's an under nines group who need real fundamentals you might want to do half a session on unopposed distraction interference because they need that repetition and learning and me- like learning a memory to be able to execute the skill so it's just about playing with with that continuum depending on on where your players sit
0: Okay, so you you gradually make the skill more difficult by introducing more distractions and decision making um, options, um, which you would get in a real match, but you do that gradually.
1: Yeah, yeah, and also like sometimes in a real match you do play passes unopposed. Like it seems sit off you, and you're playing serving into the midfield, or or you might just have to your court, uh, fullback might just have to make a little angle for you to give them the ball. It's not always fully opposed, so I think we have to come away as well that like it, there's not always manic pressure to come and come and um, like on you when you're on the ball, um, and and actually a lot of basic errors happen unopposed in games. You know what I mean, so it's, it's I, I, I agree. Yeah. A, lo- a
0: lot of shooting in Gaelic football. Uh, points are on a post when you see it, there's no one around the forward when they're taking the shot, and it's on a post, sure. so yeah, I, I certainly agree with you there. Okay, Ross, um, yeah, I was just going to ask you just before we, we finish off, I know you've got to you've got a match tonight, um, before you break up for the World Cup. I was going to ask you, do you think the players should see the lesson plan before the session?
1: Should, Is that necessary? They, should they see it? Sure. Yeah, should they see yeah. it? Um, I think it depends, depends on how you work and where your players are at, right? And what level. The players definitely need to be aware of, of the session plan because I think you've already gone through their individual programs. Like you're talking to them constantly and reviewing on, on how they're developing as a player and a person. So then if they're going to start to really create links of their programs within the session, I think it's important before the session that they have an idea of what the session is. So if you're a... I don't know if you're a, a set um, let's say a striker in, in soccer, right? Where your um main focus is your wooden foot finishing, but you're going into a, a possession practice where things are very tight and there's no goals, so it's multi-directional, there's no goals, it's not directional into a goal, then you're thinking, well, how can I work on my left foot finishing? But actually, you might be able to play into that. There might be a target man that you've got to play into over 15 yards. And the focus is, can you, as many times as you can, with good accuracy, can you play with your, your wooden foot? So there's already some link before you go into the game. Um, and also other areas of your game. You might have to sit in and, and hold a defender off. What's your hold-up play like? What's your ball retention like when there's lots of people around you and it's nice and tight? Um, and so on. And in that one possession, which just seems like a basic possession where you're just playing multi-directional people, you're getting in-possession, out-possession all over the pitch. And every player can actually like apply their parts of their program to it. Now, if you don't tell them that that possession's happening, how can they start to create the link and really yeah. focus on that part of the game? So I think it's important that you tell them. And I think the best the best clubs and the best um, like establishments in the world would produce session plans for players to go out in advance so players can create them links. But worst case, you, you tell them on the night when they arrive, you say, this is why we're doing this. This is the focus for here. I want you to think about X, Y, and Z when we go into this practice, but make sure your individual programmes, you're starting to have a think about them now. And that's why I like those arrival activities, because if you tell them the session plan before then, not only are they then practicing their stuff in isolation, they're already thinking, well, in this part of the session, I'm going to apply this now. So I think it just creates that link and and development a little bit stronger.
0: Okay, brilliant. Well, thanks for that, Ross. And that was a great overview into some of those advanced um, coaching techniques. All the best tonight, by the way
1: thanks Joe we're in a bit of a sticky patch so uh, yeah (laughs) hopefully a a couple of results before the World Cup and really nice to talk to you mate and uh, yeah yeah. hope Paris evening goes well
0: thanks very much (laughs) okay thank you for listening in Uh, we'll see you in two weeks time
1: thank you cheers Joe